listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to another new episode of ESL Talk. Yeah, last week we talked all about teaching lower level students and we really learned a lot from our special guest, Nicole. And this week we'll be rolling on in season four with an episode all about the topic of corpus linguistics. And of course, if you want to stay in the know and get early access to our new episodes, extra content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ESL talk. Thank you, Faye. So this week we are covering the curious topic of corpus and corpus linguistics. Um, what is it? How can we use it? And how can it help our students in our classes? And our special guest, Ben, is joining us to share his knowledge and expertise on this topic. He will probably help us better understand corpus and how we can use it so effectively. So why don't we start by sharing our knowledge and our expertise or experience on this topic? So yeah, absolutely. Um, Daniel, what exactly is your <laughs> understanding of corpus linguistics? Well, Honestly, if I'm being 100% um, transparent, this is not something that I'm 100% comfortable with as a mm -hmm. teacher. Now, it's something that we're aware of. It's something that we use without really Or we see realizing. written, right? Yeah, exactly. But um, in terms of corpus linguistics itself, it's more about a methodology, you know, a way of looking at words that are used, texts that are used, um, and you can find a really wide range of different um corpora, which is the plural form, uh, which help us kind of understand which words to use, how often words are used, where they're used, when they're used. So it kind of just gives us a really nice overview of words and language, and it can really help us and our students to use the right words in the right times, in the right context. So right. that's basically how corpus linguistics um, makes sense to me, uh, mm -hmm. but obviously does a lot more Uh, deeper, more technical aspects, which I guess Ben will go into today. Right. Well, so, I think the key thing here is that it's data, right? Yes, exactly. And it's the exactly. thing and how we use it, I guess it really depends on, on, on our knowledge of it and, and, right. and your objectives, but yeah, it's just data. And I like what you said, it's like how we use it, when we use it, uh, what words to use, but 
informed by the way people actually use exactly it. it's not just the what it's more about the why and the how and kind of yeah. those, those are the deeper questions it's a little bit more critical than just a dictionary or a thesaurus which just gives us the words and the definition and it it's, definitely prescribes more right when it's a dictionary exactly exactly a yeah it tells you this is the word use it but corpus will tell you do we really use it like, exactly these are yeah. the words we actually use right so Faye, how exactly do do we use it? Um, you know, maybe in a, a classroom setting, or if I'm a student, how would you how would you use this with me? So I find that um, knowing, like knowing that there is this study of the corpus we use and all that, all the words we use, um, really helps us as teachers. First of all, be informed and be more like secure and confident of what we're teaching our students. Um, often we see so many resources and books and, and things that we are told to teach. And you might think, ah, but I've never said this before. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, my grandma maybe says this. You know, those things like that we've kind of, we are teaching it, but we're, at the same time you're feeling like, Meh. and then when students ask you, but I've never heard anyone say this. So you're like, yeah, actually nobody does. Mm -hmm. And I feel that when we're planning or prepping for a lesson, if we use the knowledge of corpus linguistics and we, if we look at all these tools, um, that show the frequency of words and all that, it can back up that, that intuition we have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it can make us more, more confident to say, yeah, it exists. It used to be used. Maybe it's no longer used and, and stuff like that. So I find that that's the most uh, valuable um, way to use it as teachers. It's just as a way to uh, back up our intu intuition and, mm -hmm. and help us be more critical of the materials we sometimes right. uh, teach with. Can you think of a way that this can be a useful tool yeah, like absolutely. In the classroom. Or yeah, this this actually comes up more often than you think, and 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 as teachers, you might come across a situation where a student says, "Well, well, why do we say this? Or why do people in the U.S. say this, but people in the U.K. say yeah. this?" So mm -hmm. it's kind of about variation as well, and different varieties of spoken and written English as well. Um, so again, you know, you might get those questions of, "Well, well, why is it?" And you might say, "Well." just because it is. Mm -hmm. Well, there's obviously a reason. It might be cultural, it might be contextual, it might be historical. Um, yeah. And we need to maybe use corpus to better understand that because you know, nowadays, especially teaching online or even in the classroom, a lot of what we teach should be based on real, practical, you know, right. authentic communication. Um, mm -hmm. And by utilizing corpora and the different types of corpus linguistics, we can really drill down and clearly show a student or show a group of students, okay, these are more natural, better choices, more, um, you know, suitable and applicable for you as a student to use. Right. In this um, situation, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about idioms, um, you know, with Ben um, and with those idioms, you know, some of them, yeah, I know what they are, you know what they are, but are you really going to use it? Or if you're going to use it, when are you going to have that opportunity? So it's mm -hmm. about, again, finding the best options to suit your situation and to suit the context that you might be involved in. So I would Great. say that's the best way to really utilize um, this as a tool. And um, there's, you know, there's a lot of really valuable resources and things you can utilize. It's not super academic. There are obviously a lot more general tools you can use to, to um, exploit this. Um, and it's not something to be intimidated about. It can actually really help us understand mm -hmm. um, our learners and understand how we teach as well. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I would say um, we should use this. But in terms of compiling and gathering corpus text, how can we do that, Faye? Well, I think that most of that work has already is already kind of done for us, and we mm. I don't think we should worry so much about creating our own corpus um, of of 
a language or something. But the the great thing about it is that it's all out there. So like you mentioned, oh, uh, maybe this is not so academic or this is more for writing. And you can actually uh, search um, for specific sets of corpus language where you go like, okay, this is the corpus of academic English mm-hmm. uh, or American academic English. It can be right. quite specific and you can find, like you see those lists of the AWL, right? The most common academic words, American academic words mm-hmm. um, that students should know if they want to do a, an IELTS academic exam and stuff like that, or if they want to go to university in, in North America, that's all corpus based. So you can definitely, um, go to the right uh, sources of information once you know a little bit more about that. And Ben can give us more, will be, give us more pointers on that. Like if a student is training for the Cambridge exam, actually, they, Cambridge has their own uh, corpus for the exam that right. they use to inform their books. That's why sometimes when you're teaching for an exam like that, you're like, well, I don't really say it, but I guess I have to teach this because mm-hmm. it will be on, on the exam. So that's where that knowledge is so important for us and for us to know, like you said, which situation and which context the word is used in and how that can help our students. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I think when it comes to some, you know, like some specific compilations, um, you know, if you are studying or you're teaching IELTS, then of course there is a corpus for that that exists. Um, yeah. If it's more academic based English, there's obviously um, an academic corpus of, of academic language. Um, you know, if it's more conversation or new words or new vocabulary that's coming yeah. out, that's being used again, you can find all those lists. Um, and if you just listen on a little bit later, Ben's going to give you some actual real um, examples of websites and resources that you can use to utilize this a little bit more. Um, as I said, we're not experts and we're happy to say that. Yeah, uh, this is why we have <laughs> we're <the> also expert. <laughs> learning. <laughs> yeah, this is why we have the expert joining us today. And again, we felt it was really important to cover this topic because Again, this is something that we have awareness of, but maybe we don't really fully understand as teachers. And and by understanding this, we can really start to get a better understanding of, you know, how we can provide better material, how we can provide better Mm -hmm. options for students and how we can improve communication skills between us and our students and how they can take them from the classroom into the real world as well. Well, then let's just move on to our next section and have a chat with Ben about all this. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for joining us today on ESL Talk. We're so happy to have you here with us and to pick your brains about this topic that I know you're really passionate about. To start off, could you tell us a little bit about your teaching and academic journey and how you ended up focusing a lot of your research on corpus linguistics? Sure. So I guess I've been in the the TESOL game for about 20 years at at this point. And like a lot of people, I just started as a a teacher and I was in Thailand. And then after that, uh, Costa Rica for a number of years, Vancouver, where you were, Faye, and mm-hmm. um, and these days I'm in, here in Pittsburgh. Um, and I guess just over time, I started to get experience in all the different um, parts of, of the TESOL world. So in teacher training and doing publishing work and um, in academic management, all that. And I was just super interested in why people do the things they do. So uh, <laughs> why learners do the things they do, why teachers do the things they do, and basically, well, what are some of the best practices or how can I make the most of, of my time as a teacher and as a teacher trainer? So I just started to get more and more interested in the academic side, which sort of led to doing a couple of masters and a PhD. And uh, that's where I am now, sort of straddling the classroom and also the the research environment. Wow, amazing. Sounds like a really uh, interesting journey. And obviously getting into this field of corpus linguistics, which some of our listeners might not be too familiar with. Um, So we already spent a little bit of time defining what a corpus is, but could you clarify for our listeners how a corpus is different from a dictionary that teachers might already use? Sure. So corpus linguistics is um, basically, well, corpus comes from the word body. So a corpus is just a body of texts. So it can be uh, anything from, um, you know, a handful of student essays on your desk but then really when people talk about corpora, um, usually what they mean is really big bodies of text. So this can be written or spoken text, uh, millions and now billions of, of words. So in order to do that, they tend to be stored on computers. So they're machine readable um, and they're, they're authentic text. So this is the important part is that it's natural language and use that's been collected. 
Um, and it's they have to be representative. Um, and so what it means by that is it's not just random bits of text from different places, but when you build up this big body of texts, um, you, you think about it in advance. So, oh, I want this percentage of it to be from, for example, speech or writing, or I want some of them to be from newspapers and some of the texts to be from soap operas, and I want some of the text to be from medical sciences so that uh, whatever your body of text is, is trying to represent, it actually represents. Right. And you also, like in your research, I know you often refer to uh, COCA as your, your, your reference for that, right? Uh, can you tell our listeners what that is, what the acronym stands for maybe, and, and why it's useful in the fields of linguistics and ESL? Right. So there's lots and lots of corpora out there in the world and all different types. There's some um, really specific ones. So you can find uh, like a corpus of um, just Canadian English or corpus of aviation English or mm -hmm. uh, there's learner corpora of texts from learners, um, but there's also some really big corpora, which are what are called reference corpora or general corpora. And these are intended to be sort of a baseline to represent um, really broad varieties of English, like all of North American English. And so uh, one that you mentioned that I often use is called COCA. It's the corpus of contemporary American English. And it's, at this point, it's about a billion words. So they're always adding to it. So that's one nice thing is that it's always being updated. Um, and it's intended to represent, like I said, uh, American English, but really all of North American English. And so um, it's really useful um, as a tool for, for, for looking at and saying, well, how is language actually being used um, in the world? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. it's interesting because it, it reminds me, I, re I still remember this conversation we had when we worked together for a while. And um, I always had students frustrated with uh, like look like and look as if because you'd get all these prescriptive grammar books that would say, if it's a, sub a subject and a verb, you have to say as if. But in yeah. practice, we always say look like. And we, all, we had this conversation about how, that, how valuable, uh, let's say, corpus can be for that or a corpora can be for that. Because people don't say like look, look as if anymore as much, right? And I remember you showed me how we could even check how often it's used, how it used to be used. And it's, I found that super enlightening and useful because it made me as a teacher reevaluate the materials I was using. Because sometimes we get stuck just trying to prescribe grammar, prescribe language that we see in books, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, I think that just goes to show, it doesn't matter if you're an expert speaker or, or not, your intuitions are great and they're a great tool, but our intuitions are always going to be limited by our own biases. So mm -hmm. we tend to, we, we don't know all the things we know or we don't know. Um, we tend to be influenced by our own lives and our own context and recency right. and uh, concreteness. So it's, it's really hard um, to always completely trust your intuitions about things like frequency, uh, mm -hmm. about Alexa. So that's where it's nice to, to look at the data and, and to check yeah. your intuitions. Exactly. The beauty of English, the beauty of the English language, it's uh, <laughs> can be great. But sometimes, you know, we have those situations where students ask us, well, well, why do we say this? Or why don't we say that? And sometimes we don't know the answers and it leads to my favorite expression in, in learning and teaching, which is you don't know what you don't know. So yeah, <laughs> it can relates exactly. to, to us. So talking about this, Ben, how can teachers use this knowledge to help them in their day-to-day -day prep or teaching work? Are there any kind of practical applications for this that we can use? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, corpus information comes in at a lot of different levels. So at sort of a high level, it can inform uh, like curricula or, or syllabus design. Below that, it can also inform like material design. So 
Uh, as you know, there's hundreds of thousands of different words in English and a really limited amount of class time. So there's always this like cost benefit analysis going on. Whenever you decide to teach something, whether you know it or not, you're deciding to teach one thing and not to teach other things. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's really important to make the most use of that time. And to do that, you have to really sort of carefully decide what in this case, vocabulary or, or grammar structures you're going to teach. And so um, corpus data can, can inform those decisions. Um, so I know a lot of material designers, we use it, for example, when we're uh, writing texts to make sure that all the, the vocabulary is at the level that we're intending it to be at. Mm. So you can say, oh, the, all this vocab is at CFR level B1 or um, it's in the 2000 most frequent uh, word families or, or lemmas or whatever way you use to, to judge these kinds of things. Um, and then also planning lessons. So a level below that, I find it really useful when I'm deciding what to teach. Like I said, to, to check my intuitions about things. For example, uh, well, what are the most natural collocations? I have this vocabulary word, maybe it's already in the book or maybe something I've selected. Well, which collocations should I teach with that word? Um, that would be the most useful and help the learners to sound the most natural and appropriate in a range of contexts. So I can just quickly check, well, what are some of the collocations that go with this uh, word? Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So when we think about some tools, are there maybe some websites or softwares or even um, text-based, corpus-based tools that teachers yeah. can use to, to help them apply these um, strategies? Yeah, and that's one of the, the great things about corpus linguistics is that there's tons of tools and most of them are freely available. So there's, mm -hmm. and there's something for everyone. So it depends on your level of interest and sort of tech savviness, but there's lots of free online interfaces. Um, so going back to COCA, uh, one of the ones that I use a lot, EnglishCorpora.org. I think there's a hyphen in there. Let me quickly check. Yeah, English-Corpora.org, compiled at Brigham Young University in, in Utah. But they host COCA, but also many other corpora. So you can look, there's the Strathy Corpus of like Canadian English. There's a corpora of, um, for example, soap operas. There's a corpus <laughs> of Wikipedia. So there's all types of different mm -hmm. corpora. But the big one is, is COCA. There you can just type in words or, or strings of words, and it will tell you, well, the, the frequency. You can ask for the collocations, and it will tell you, oh, here are all the most common collocations with these words. Amazing. And you can set all kinds of parameters, like, oh, I only want all the adjective collocations with this noun, or I only want all the, the adverbs that, that come before this verb, for example. And you can compare as well. So you can compare across like British English and uh, American English. So you can check the British national corpus and see how it's used there compared to in the American corpus. And sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're different. So a useful website, but there's lots of others too. Uh, ones like justtheword.com is a, a, a simpler one that um, learners can use as well. Um, and sometimes if you just want a really like quick and dirty corpus search, you can use netspeak.org. It doesn't really use a corpus, it uses the entire web. Um, so it just checks in the entire web and um, there's very few options, but it's a nice way to very quickly check. And maybe one other is the Google uh, Ngrams uh, website. So if you just search for Google Ngrams, and what that does is it checks all the billions of books that Google has scanned. So if wow. you've ever searched for a book, and sometimes you can like see a PDF of it in Google, and it gives you like a sample of a few pages, mm -hmm. that's part of their corpus. And basically, they try to scan every book that's ever been written anywhere ever, uh, is my right. understanding. And so last time I checked, they'd scanned like 5 billion books or something like that. So it's this huge corpus oh. uh, of data. And that one will tell you over time. So it gives you a really nice little graph showing um, from the 1800s to now how words or phrases have been used. And you can compare them. And so I like that one. Too. Incredible. 
Yeah, it's a, it's actually like I remember when you showed me these tools as well. It's just I found it a lot of fun, and um, so I, I highly encourage our listeners to try all these tools out as well, um, just to see which one they like most and work what works best for them. Uh, a suggestion I have that was interesting is, is searching for if I was and if I were. We did that on Ngram once, and just you can clearly see how if I were and if I how if I was used to be more common, and now if I were is a lot more common. But that one's a really interesting one because it gets back to what you mentioned about sort of. Pres- prescriptive versus descriptive accounts of language because prescriptively a lot of people will say oh you need to use the subjunctive it has to be if i uh i wish i were every time but then if you look at the usage that they're pretty much even they're sort of 50 50 so to tell students never to say uh, yeah i wish i was you i think you're doing a disservice because it is used naturally in language and that's from the book corpus so it's not just in spoken english either this is in in written form more literary yeah and do you notice a difference between more current and older course books in terms of the corpora included in the lessons can you like clearly spot that and be like oh yeah this is old corpus sometimes i would say that even even now, I think most course books like to say they're sort of corpus informed. So when you read the descriptions, they say that there's very few that say they're corpus based. So um, ah. a little bit of a stronger usage. And I think that's fine. But some course books uh, really take corpus data really seriously in terms of deciding what to teach. Um, and I think a lot of course books do it in terms of the vocabulary, but less so in terms of the grammar. Right. Um, but like a series like Touchstone, um, was written by Michael McCarthy, who's sort of a big name in applied linguistics and Lexis mm-hmm. and, and corpus linguistics. So he obviously took this idea of using corpus data really seriously. And there is research that shows that that series of course books is more informed by, by corpus findings okay. than others. Um, but you, you see things like with grammar structures, like um, you know when we teach future forms, we always teach, oh, that you should use the present continuous to talk about these uh, you know fixed plans. But then when you look at corpus data, like the amount of time that we actually use the present continuous to talk about the future is, is such a small percentage of the time compared to the will. Yeah, I mean, very realistic. We will all the time. It's such a huge yeah. percentage. And the other one is other modals. And we don't cover that as much in course books, like using um, may or can or might or could to talk about future um, mm-hmm. actions is, 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 is pretty common. So yeah. Um, I think, yes, it, it does impact course books, but probably more for, for vocabulary than grammar at this point. And just on tagging on to that, um, can you think of some examples of language? We already mentioned a couple, but some examples of language that have that has become dated as a result of our changing English corpus. I mean, I think we have pretty good intuitions about when we see activities about old technology or right. uh, with <laughs> idioms a lot that they've, you know, yeah. we, we spot someone teaching a, it's raining cats and dogs. You see this like in idiom books or idiom courses all the time. And like the frequency of full idioms is so, so low. Um, right. Whereas other things like semi-fixed expressions or collocations or uh, these are far higher. And I think have more like teaching worth than teaching these, these really low frequency idioms, which mm-hmm. are also pretty dated in, in, in a lot of cases. So um, I'm not a huge proponent of, of spending a lot of time teaching full idioms uh, right yeah. one of my, my pet peeves i know and i remember we used to have a class at a school we worked together that was just <laughs> yeah. for idioms and i had to teach it for a while i'm like oh uh, i just want to create my own materials but i don't have enough time for that i guess we're taking this unit from this book and you just felt like a fraud teaching are it you cause... throwing them under the bus Faye? <laughs> a little bit <laughs> but it's just i mean there are idioms that are used and i use and that, i think that that's part of us of our job too like you work with what mm-hmm. you have right and then just pointing it out to students i think is important and that's where 
all this research comes into play and you can say like, yeah, you have all these idioms. I might hear people say these, 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 but this is definitely one that I would use. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a way to work around that too, right? Using the material and just making making students aware of it that yes it exists this is what it means but you don't really need to say it all the time as opposed to the actual dating or dated um expressions or corpus that we use could we say that perhaps it varies on a cultural basis so for example i've Mm -hmm. worked abroad and i've seen books and materials that are quote-unquote new but then the language that is used or the you know the vocabulary that that we have to teach is very dated so is is that an element of it as well would you say ben yeah, I mean, d- different publishers invest different amounts of resources into material creation. And so sometimes it's just up to, you know, a teacher has to mm. write a course book quickly and on a quick deadline and a, on a small budget. And you don't have time to, to have lots of people look at it or to spend a lot of time researching what you're going to be including. Um, some of the big publishers tend to, to have a, a few more resources and, and sets of eyes mm. and, and rounds of, of work on it. So um, there are practicalities involved for sure. And I'm also guilty of that. You know, I've written materials yeah. with, I, I still check like the, the the frequencies of vocabulary, but I'm not nitpicking every single thing that I'm including um, in the material. Sure. Uh, I don't have the time and not getting paid enough to do that. So that's, a, yeah. that's another story, I think. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Great. Sure. I think, I think, yeah, like you said, it's just about making sure that, you know, what we're teaching is relevant, it's accessible, that it can be used, you know, in a practical sense and in a, re- in a realistic sense as well. And I think that's something that we all try to, to, to teach, um, you know, when we are um, delivering to our students. But um, in terms of some, some resources, that what are some resources that you recommend for our listeners if they want to kind of learn more or dive a little deeper into this topic? Right. So in addition to like the online tools yeah. that you can use, there's a, a huge body of, of work um, and not just heavy academic papers, but there's a mm-hmm. lot of sort of, um, there's a lot of books that are intended for a wider audience that, um, so let's see, a couple of good ones. It's a little bit older now, but from 2010, there was one by Randy Reppin called uh, Using Corpora in the Language Classroom. Um, so that has a lot of good practical ideas. Um, more recently, there's one called, what's it called? Beyond the Concordance Line or Beyond Concordance Lines. Uh, that's one that came out uh, last year. And so this is one of these um, these handbooks, which I really like. So it's a handbook with each chapter written by somebody different. And so there's lots of uh, ideas for, for using corpus data um, in the classroom as teacher mm-hmm. trainers. Um, I, I should mention there is a, a big field of research called Data-Driven Learning, DDL, which is getting students to use um corpus tools and corpus data themselves in the classroom to be honest i found in my own experience that i prefer to use corpus data and tools at the planning stage so helping teachers to plan lessons and less so um, with learners actually using these tools themselves in the classroom Um, but that might just be the context in which i've taught and and perhaps at higher levels and in Mm -hmm. academic situations um there's sort of more value in having students do it themselves but i'm a big proponent of sort of indirect uh corpus use which is having the teachers and the curriculum designers uh use these tools uh, even if it's hidden from the learners the learners may not be aware why you selected this vocabulary but it's um, still going to be useful to them right Awesome. It's good to inform you as a teacher too, and to uh, make you feel more confident in your choices, right? That's right. I mean, I think a lot of teacher training looks at developing grammatical awareness. So um, in teacher training, the, le- the participants often know, oh, you know, I'm not that confident with these grammatical patterns or the rules as the, they're, they're called. Um, but they think, oh, because I'm an expert speaker, 
my lexical awareness is strong. And so, but I think there is value in developing your lexical awareness as a teacher. So trying yeah. to improve your intuitions, trying to improve your knowledge of what's frequent and what's not, and right. being able to recognize patterns in text and pull them out and, and help learners to notice them. So uh, I'm always in favor of sort of having a bit more focus on developing lexical awareness and not just grammatical awareness. Right. Yeah. True. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Lots of really interesting uh, points you've touched on. Uh, now, maybe our listeners want to get in touch with you, maybe uh, share some of their ideas. How can they reach you? Sure. Yeah. I'm always open to discussions and collaborations and, and other projects. Um, so you can check my website. Um, is probably the easiest way. So if you just search my name, Ben Naismith, rather than me telling the whole website. We but, can link yeah. it to the description of the episode as well. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And on my website, you'll see there, there's my Twitter. So at Ben Naismith, ELT. Um, and it's the same for my, uh, if you want to read some of my work, um, you can check out the articles through my website, but they're also available on, for example, academia.edu or ResearchGate. And I'm always happy to, if they're behind a paywall, I'm always happy to, to send a copy, reach out and ask. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Great. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Ben, for taking some time to share with us your experience and your knowledge of this field of corpus linguistics. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much, Ben, for joining us. And we really appreciated you um, explaining and, and helping us to know a little bit more about corpus and corpus linguistics as well. Um, I'm sure a lot of teachers can learn from it. So do feel free to reach out to Ben. Um, obviously, you can visit his website. The link will be in the description for this episode. Great. Yes, lots of great advice today. And as always, don't forget that you can get in touch with us on Instagram at ESL Talk Podcast. And you can also send us an email to eslTalkPodcast at gmail.com or visit our website to access all of our previous episodes from every season so far for free. Just go to esl-talk.com, esl-talk, remember to add that hyphen or dash.com. Mm -hmm. Yep, and you can also join us on Instagram. Yes, you can find me at Learning with Faye, Faye is F-E-Y. Or I'm Daniel Teacher. Thank you everyone for joining us today and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for even more ESL teaching content.